Blog Talk Radio. Hello there. How are you? I hope you're doing great. I am well. This is Laura Mize, and I'm a pediatric speech language pathologist. And welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. It's so funny when I just said that. I felt like, gosh, I'm talking to a friend. It's just a little phone call. Well, nobody else is here today but me. <laughs> but I feel like I'm talking to you. So thanks so much for joining me for the show. We are continuing on this show to answer the wonderful questions that I received when I sent out a little request for that a few weeks ago. Um, if you're on my email list through Teach Me to Talk, you probably received a couple of emails about that. And I was so happy to get the responses and the kinds of questions that people ask and what I've been trying to do and I think I talked about this on last show or the show before is sort of group the questions together with common themes because many of the ones that I'm getting um, all seem to be asking sort of the same question or a really similar version so today we're talking about two different scenarios here. One is from a mom and one is from a speech pathologist, but they're both asking for ideas for social interaction or how they can help children when they're seeing them in a group. So let's just start with the first one. And this is from a wonderful mom named Miriam. And I've actually um, met Miriam through Skype. She is in the Middle East and she has an older daughter, but I feel like I know them because (laughs) like I said, I've I've done some Skype consultations for them and then lots of email correspondence kind of over the years. Now, her daughter is six now. She's been diagnosed with a global developmental delay with autistic traits, hyperactivity, sleeping problems, those kinds of things. And so let me just read the email to you. She says, I've applied therapy on her using your wonderful manual. Teach me to talk to therapy manual. Got very good results. So she's now talking in sentences understand some words and who and where questions, but now I'm stuck. We haven't been doing a lot of therapy for three years, and she's meeting at home now, focusing more on schoolwork as I lost hope or I seem to get stuck and I don't know how to move further. She says, my question now is on social skills and how to work on it. So this little girl is six, but she says expressively and receptively, she's at the two-and-a-half to three-year-old language level. She's still unable to tell me what happens in school, and let me just say, let me just stay right there, That is pretty common, even with kindergartners and first graders, even in some kids who are typically developing if they are worn out (laughs) after school. And I've shared this on the podcast before, but I remember picking up my own three children when they were in kindergarten or preschool and just being so excited about, you know, getting them to tell me about their day. And I just wanted to hear everything. And they were just done (laughs) did not want to answer very many questions at all about school we're not chatty at all when I gave lots of open-ended questions but I quickly switched to my therapist hat instead of my mom hat and started really asking forced choice questions so things like instead of saying what'd you do at school today I would say oh what was your favorite part of school today center time or you know centers or snacks or uh, circle time, or playing outside, or, you know, and again, you're giving them the answer, and that is a really important step for children, especially at the elemental level, and remember what I said is that my children were uh, typically developing, and certainly the language, and still had 
I still had to use those strategies. So do not get discouraged with a child with language delays. And especially don't get discouraged. Even if your kid is older, still treat them, <laughs> for the most part, with uh, keeping in mind their developmental age instead of their chronological age. And so that's why if you were hearing this and uh, hearing this question and you've listened for a long time and you're hearing me say this little girl is six and you're saying, Laura, uh, hello, am I on the right show? I, you do toddlers, you do birth to three and you know, maybe some four-year-olds and occasionally a five-year-old. But this is an entirely appropriate question because this little girl, as the mom said, is still functioning in that developmental range. So you want to be sure that you are tailoring your strategies and your activities to that developmental level. Now, if this mom, well, let me just go on and read the rest of this. And we'll, again, get to talk about this a little bit more. She says, Still unable to tell me what happens in school. She plays with me and her sister. And if I remember correctly, this little girl has a twin who does not have any language issues. But she does not play with children at school. She uh, is in kindergarten. The kids in her class are four and five years old with typical development. My question is, how can I help her socially with me? She tenses her body and mouth so much when she plays, when she's excited. I haven't been doing therapy with her for so long. Where should I start? I don't know how to help her socially or develop social skills in terms so that she initiates talking. And that is, again, such an important point. And so many of our little guys, when they're playing, they're learning. I mean, you can look at them and you can virtually see those little wheels turning. They are processing what's happening. They are into what they're doing, attending. They are reenacting scenarios. And so sometimes they are so busy mentally that it makes it kind of tough to get in there and really talk to them as they're playing and really work on that social interaction piece. And so this is what I would tell this mom and anybody else who says, gosh, this is hard. Well, first of all, with practice, <laughs> it gets a lot easier. And here's, here's what I say to a lot of moms that seem to kind of make it click. Try not to think about this as therapy because you are putting too much pressure on yourself. And that's what's really, really tripping you up. Just play. And if you're in the position that you are feeling like, oh, 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 well, I'm not effective. What am I going to do? Sometimes it helps just to say, okay, you know, we're just going to start over. I'm just going to look at this from a really simpler point of view I do not have to be as structured until I feel a little bit better about this and again go simpler instead of more complicated so what I would do is take her favorite activities and if I remember correctly this little girl used to really be into Mickey and Minnie and those little Disney characters and she may have matured past that and if she has so I apologize to this mom for using this specific example but if if she's still into that have them do different things and take those little characters that she loves to play with and do things with her. Don't just watch. Don't just be a passive person sitting there kind of yelling questions. I think we talked about that on last week's show when the mom had asked, can I just do some language enrichment things like sitting on the couch and just narrating as she plays? That's not horrible. But you'll be better off if you really focus on that one-on-one -on -one floor time or, or, in this case, this little girl. The mom wants her little girl to be able to play with other kids. And you can certainly include other children with that by arranging some play dates. And this little girl has, that, has a sister. But at the same time, many times we have to get that interaction and that responding going on one-on-one -on -one with the child before we can introduce other children. And that's just 
a fact. And sometimes we can't help it with, with under the circumstances with which we see children, and we'll talk about that with the next question. But just know that sometimes that you've got to get these skills really established in a less um, overwhelming or less uh, overstimulating, just less complex environment. So, you know, if you're thinking about a little girl who kind of shuts down and does her own thing, when there's too much going on around her, like it sounds like she's probably doing at school, again, you've got to know that you've got to get these skills firmly established in that back and forth one-on-one situation before you could ever expect her to be able to play cooperatively or participate with other kids or even do a lot of talking with other children. And like I said before, remember that there's a lot of learning going on with kids, even when you're not hearing them say anything. Now, as a language person, that may seem funny to you. <laughs> if you're a speech pathologist, you're thinking, yeah, we're working on communicating. Absolutely, you certainly are. But I just want you to kind of take a step back, especially if you're a mom like this and in this situation, and realize, yeah, you're going to get in there and do some things. But uh, remember that cognitively, sometimes children have to be quiet to process. And they have to, again, kind of get their feet wet and think about what they're doing. And then you jump in and start to get something going. And if they're resistant to that, Certainly, that's a problem, and you want to be included with that. So just make sure that you're interjecting yourself in play. Instead of introducing something new, do something that she likes to do. And so that's why I was giving you the examples with Mickey and Minnie. And don't go real complex with these play ideas. Two-and-a-half to three-year-olds really like their, their favorite things to play with and their favorite play schemes are things that they do every day. And so think about what a kid does. So what do they do? They wake up. They eat, they take baths, <laughs> they play with toys and with other children, they go outside, they go to the store, they um, have other little events like birthday parties, things like that. So just think about events that she has happening in her daily little life and pretend like that. For her, since she goes to school, I think playing school is a really fun thing to do. And again, remember that kids are going to be pretty repetitive when they play and want to do the same things over and over. That's okay. That's where they are developmentally. And, and just try to expand just one little idea. So let's say that you were pretending that her little characters or her little animals, I think she says, and this mom has told me in a previous email that she likes to play with little animals, meaning, you know, little plastic animals or stuffed animals, and they give them food, put them to sleep, and she says, you know, they play with stuffed animals and like to hang them on rollers, and, and that little placement routine, that's really uh, fun for kids. Kids do a lot of that kind of organizing and play, and sometimes parents expect it to look different and like it's really, really elaborate with, you know, what a, a mom expects her child to be able to pretend, you know, they'll say something like, oh, um, you know, she's going to have a sleepover with so-and-so. And if a kid has never been on a sleepover, and certainly that's not really happening with two-and-a-half to three-year-olds, they may be going to grandmother's house or something else like that that's really family-oriented. But you've got to remember to keep everything familiar. Keep everything when you're playing like this with something that they have already done because they have that cognitive base so that it makes sense. And so try to really um, think about those things. And I think I lost my train of thought there with what I was doing, with what I was talking about. All right, so um, just keep on with 
taking what she already does and turning that into a play routine with her little animals or with her little characters so that, again, she knows what she wants to do. She can anticipate it. And you'll just introduce, this is what I was going to say, you'll just introduce one new little part with that. So let's say that you are pretending that uh, Mickey and Minnie are uh, going to the doctor. Let's say that your daughter has been to the doctor recently. Remember what happened with that. You know, remember the big parts. You walked in, you talked to the person at the um, at the reception desk, you know, it's Fatima's doctor's appointment. I hope, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, too. And, you know, then we sat down and waited, and then we went back to another room. You know, kind of think about that. And then the doctor came in and said, hi, how are you? And walk through those things and really use the same things that happened with her. Not all of it, but the same things that happened. And uh, let that be the conversation. And you play. Uh, you play too. You take one of those little characters and play too. And uh, again, sometimes you may have to kind of insist that she include you, but just do that with, uh, you know, go big or go small. Sometimes it's that you're really excited, really animated, really in there and kind of, you know, making yourself part of it so that if she has a little character and you have a little character that you're saying, and you're talking like your character, you might be Mickey and she might be Minnie and you're saying, Hi, I'm Mickey. What's your name? Those little things. You know, do you want to play together? You may have to go big. You may have to repeat that several times until you can get her to really get into that and play with you. Um, and just uh, sometimes, though, it's too much. You have to go smaller. And so, again, think about getting right down there with her on the floor and really talking with her about things. And, and back to how can we help her answer questions about what's happened during her day ask her questions about what she's just done while she's playing. So let's say that she's made Minnie go to sleep. Say something like, oh, what did Minnie do? What did Minnie do? Tell me. And then, you know, if she doesn't answer, you'll say Minnie sleeping or Minnie went to bed, whatever you say, whatever her current language level is with that. And just ask her some questions. And like I already gave that, if she doesn't respond, if you're saying, oh, what's Minnie doing? What did she do? And she doesn't say anything. Give her a choice. Say, oh, is she eating or is she sleeping? Is she jumping or is she crying? <laughs> is she sometimes with preschoolers, what's really, really fun to do, and she may not quite be there yet. But to give her a nonsense example, so you might say, you know, is Minnie sleeping or did she poop? And again, toddlers think potty jokes are so funny. I mean, you cannot go wrong when, or preschoolers, that is. When you, after they're already potty trained, of course, and they've had some experience with that, and you'll be able to um, know what she thinks is funny and what might be an outlandish response, and, and that's going to again get you included with that. Have you have some humor there and some nice closeness and that shared experience of laughing about that and saying, "No, she's not going," you know, "She's not going poopy or whatever your word is for that." No way. Minnie's sleeping, Minnie's sleeping, what's Minnie doing? And then have her answer that. And then, you know, let's wake her up and really kind of think about what would come next in the sequence. And that organizing play, again, super, super fun to do with that. Playing hide and seek with little toys and other children is always a really fun little routine to do. Um, so, so be sure that you're thinking about that. Other kinds of cooperative toys, you know, I read an article 
a few years ago that talked about the most successful toys for building relationships with children that cooperative play were things like blocks things and bigger blocks things like cardboard blocks things where children have to really move them around bigger pieces of play equipment like tricycles and little bikes little gross motor things so that they can get their little bodies moving other things uh pretend play sets like kitchens and dolls superheroes and starting to do a lot of that fantasy play she's probably just under that developmental level but i bet her little friends are loving that at four and five so you may introduce some little things like dressing up um which you know two little twin girls who are adorable (laughs) probably want to do that anyway with like some princess little outfits and things and maybe if you're feeling like i'm not creative enough with this I don't really, I don't know how to come up with my own ideas. Watch what they're watching. So if they're watching a a movie or a little video on YouTube, just pay attention to what they're watching and then reenact that. Or if they have a favorite book, reenact that with those characters. And that goes a long way too. And remember, she's getting to take advantage of her memories of what she already knows, her previous experiences so be sure that you're including that too i don't think i talked about yet uh, the mom mentioned the tensing of her mouth and body you know that's a stem or a self-stimulatory behavior it's part of the diagnosis that's why she got and uh, the diagnosis that she did the autistic traits part of her diagnosis and i would just say unless it significantly interferes with communication don't worry about it as much and again, there's there's a study that's in my Is It Autism uh, Part Two course that really talks about stems like that do not prevent children from uh, developing communication skills and language. And this little girl's already talking, so that's not a big deal. But I do think it's, a, it's an important point for us as therapists. Sometimes we get kind of wigged out, <laughs> to use a really professional term, when a kid stems and maybe. Even a little bit for a newer therapist, if you've not seen a lot of that, you might get a little um, just taken back by that. If you haven't seen a, a kid do that, just, you know, unless it's interfering, ignore it. Unless a kid is really not having any functional play skills because all they do is spin, spin, spin or something like that, you're going to want to redirect that, of course. But when it's just something a little tensing up her mouth or of her body, Try to let that go a little bit. I bet as a mom, she's a little bit sensitive about that. And boy, do I understand that because as a therapist, even with our, we analyze children, that's what we do. And with our own children, because of our tie to them emotionally, that bond, can we do it with our own kids? And so we do get a little bit sensitive or a little bit, um, we notice things even more that other people aren't going to think are as much of a big deal. And so when you can redirect a stem, do it, like for flapping, uh, hand flapping or arm flapping or that kind of general body movement, we typically can redirect that to clapping or a fist bump or a pump of the hand in the air. I've had uh, kids that who were doing a lot of tensing with their mouths, and a lot of times their moms try to get them to kiss a little toy or whatever, you know, you can try some of those things with the redirecting, but for the most part, if it's not stopping her from talking, I would really, really focus on language as your most important outcome there. 
Uh, and if she's doing something with her feet, I've had children do that. I had a little girl years ago, and again, I think she's on the Autism Part 2 course, where her stem was kind of leaning back and when she's sitting on the floor and holding both her legs in the air and really tensing them. And, it, you know, her parents call that affectionately her cheerleader move. And, again, some of these things are more sensitive for some parents than other parents, but try to kind of lighten that up a little bit if you can and think, oh, gosh, my focus here is language. It's not on redirecting every single thing that she does. Um, she also goes on to say uh, that in another email, this mom, same mom, says she's not sure what to do. She says, okay, here it is. She says, if I want together they want the same toy if i buy two of the same toy the little girl that she's talking about wants both of them when she does not get the toy she pushes her sister now i'm in this situation what should i do because sometimes i get aggressive and scold her which is not good for language to like children but i don't want her to do this with other children and that certainly is a concern and so some moms will say i know i need to be more lenient with her behavior and i need to not, like I just said, pick apart every little thing. But listen, you do have to address aggressive behaviors. And don't make yourself feel so guilty about that. You do not want your child, no matter what's going on with them, no matter what diagnosis it is, not to be welcome to, to play with other children. So if they are hitting and biting and doing anything that's extremely aggressive, pushing, you do want to address that because that's a behavior that will cause her uh, discomfort She's certainly causing discomfort to other children, potentially. But for her, you know, she's going to be in trouble. She's going to uh, be um, addressed. That will be addressed in the school setting. And if she, mom's not hearing a lot of that from the school now, if she's not, that's fantastic. But even at home, even with brothers and sisters, you can't let kids kill each other, whether they have a language delay or not. <laughs> and so you want to address that and say, just be really simple. You know, no hitting, hitting hurts. You know, don't go into a long diatribe about that where you're talking about it, you know, for 15 minutes and asking questions. How do you think it's, it makes your sister feel when you push her? She probably doesn't have the language level to be able to articulate that yet. And, again, this is for a child with a language delay disorder. Typically, developing children often cannot tell you their reasons for things or their motivations for things. So just don't even ask questions like that. Just address it. Say, you know, no, it's not allowed. Give a warning. And then if you don't want to remove her from the situation, take the toy away. You know, think about what works for her. What if uh, a disciplinary or behavior modification kind of technique, and it works, keep doing it. If it doesn't work, meaning she's still pushing, she's still shoving, whatever, don't use the toy that's really, really uh, eliciting that kind of response or just be right there so you can kind of catch it before it happens. You might do some pretending with toys like that where the one of the, her little stuffed animals hits or pushes the other one and, you know, make a big deal about making the animal that was hurt cry and be upset, which, again, kids think it's hysterical, but it does sort of serve the purpose to say... You know, we're not going to do this. This isn't how we're going to act. And, again, not in so many words like that, but just really brief behavioral redirections with, you know, uh, things like no biting or stop, that hurts, those kinds of things. And if you can't get that behavior to stop and if it's really problematic, uh, you'll have to do some more serious uh, 
addressing that issue so that you make sure, again, that she is a lovely, delightful play partner. <laughs> and she remember, too, what that, that this sibling rivalry and uh, not wanting to share, that is so developmentally normal. All kids go through that at two and three where they don't want to share. Even older kids, gosh, you know, older children have those kinds of territorial issues as well. So keep in mind that part of this is just part of being a kid. And the mom says, you know, I scold her. Mom feels like she has gotten aggressive in the past with that. Don't beat yourself up too much for that, of course. But just remember that some of this is completely normal and all moms. Moms of typically developing kids and moms of children with developmental delays, we're all walking the same road <laughs> when we're talking about how to teach our children to interact with other kids and use words instead of their little bodies <laughs> when they don't like what's going on. And give her some scripts to say, like, you know, uh, my turn or let's share. You know, she's got to understand that word. Just give her some little tips and some scripts that she can use and that she can say, she can ask her sister for the toy that she wants rather than pushing her doing that. And you're just going to have to be really focused on teaching her, I get a toy and you get a toy. And again, remember that might begin with one-on-one with the kid, the child, and an adult before they can learn to do it with other children. And also remember, too, that children do not want to share their most prized possessions. So try to get sharing and those kinds of things going with things that she doesn't love. If she's really, really kind of obsessed with a toy, that is not going to be a toy that she's going to be able to share because she feels like it's hers and it's just going to be too threatening. Now, some children seem to want all the toys and they're kind of little hoarders, and I say that with just the most affection possible. (laughs) So please don't think I'm being derogatory with that. But they really just like to gather things, and they're sort of fixated on that. And, again, that's part of autism. That's just part of the diagnosis, and you're just going to have to work through that with them and be really firm about, you know, this is my toy, this is your sister's toy, and this is your toy. And and then you might do some things, say something like switch or share, and everybody trades toys and I've done that before too and you can kind of make a game of that that's another idea that's worked really really well for me in the past so I wanted to bring that little tip in all right I hope that I've given Miriam some ideas to use Miriam I know you're listening (laughs) but you email me back if those ideas are not good enough to get you going but my main thing would be hey take the pressure off yourself you're trying just get in there and play and See what, see what happens from there. Use experiences that she lives every day to make the situation more familiar. Ask her questions about what she's doing. And, again, you're preparing her to be able to answer questions situationally as things are happening. And that, when she's really good at that, then you move on to things that have happened previously, like what did you do at school? And you might even do that a little bit with play with saying, oh, you know, have a big play routine where you've played with you know, a few of her little animals. And then after those toys are put away and you're doing something else, say to her, what did we play? Oh, remember when we were playing? What did we do? And go back and use your same strategies as forced choice questions. You know, did we play with animals or did we play with balls? And see if you can get some things going there too, you know, 10 or 15 minutes after the fact versus asking her questions excuse me, uh, about her school day 
at the end of the day. She just may be too tired and exhausted from her full day to be able to answer those questions. So start with those uh, questions related to a play situation. All right, let's move on to the next question. This person says, I'm an SLP at an elementary school. About half the students on my caseload are preschoolers with autism and developmental delays and self-contained classrooms. I have 38 preschoolers, so I must see them in groups. I'm having a hard time finding activities to keep a group of four preschoolers engaged long enough to do therapy. I find that most of my time is spent managing behaviors such as running around the room, flopping on the floor, climbing on furniture, etc. Do you have any suggestions for adapting some of the activities in your books and videos to a group setting? What a great question. And let me just say, I've never practiced in a school setting, but I ran a playgroup program with toddlers for several years. And so it is likened to that experience because the children that she's talking about, again, are at the same developmental level as the little toddlers that I worked with, the kids that were two. And uh, certainly have done some little group things with three-year-olds as well. But be sure that just like we talked about in the previous question, you are looking at their developmental age, not their chronological age. And so many of the things that she's talking about are also behaviors that we see with toddlers in addition to preschoolers. It's a lot like treating a group of siblings at home too. And so if you are an early intervention therapist and you're listening to this, you can relate even if you're not in a classroom situation or if you're a mom with several kids, you know <laughs> what she's talking about. You try to do something with the child that you're working with, but you have these other kids who are hanging out there. Sometimes, too, we think about, oh, it's going to be a lot harder to manage the four uh, children that are on your caseload because there are speech and language problems. But let me just say, sometimes it's the kids with typical development that are hardest to manage. So we kind of have the same situation going on when we're working with siblings or at home or a group in preschools or daycare settings as this therapist is experiencing. So let's talk about what to do. Let me just say a little disclaimer here, especially if you can control your group size. Now, it sounds like this therapist is just doing all she can to keep her head above water and she has to see kids, again, in the small group setting because there's no other way to do it, and I get that, but... When you can control it, especially like in a home setting, and I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, or maybe longer than that now, where the mom, um, we were talking about the mom who's the speech pathologist had a little guy, and she was saying that he doesn't do as well when the brother is in the room, and so she just said from a practical aspect, I just have to send him away, and he needs to do his own thing during therapy time because otherwise we don't get anything done, and I don't get any, I, I don't see the level of progress when I work with him one-on-one -on -one as I do when the brother is there, and that, that again, the mom is spending a lot of her time managing behaviors, and so what do you do? I always think in this situation, excuse me, especially if there is the possibility of, especially children who who really require a lot of your attention, do what you can to be able to see them independently of other children. But again, sometimes that's just not in the cards, and I understand that, and we have to be realistic. So what else can you do? In this situation, I would think about more structure rather than less. And I would think about 
more activity so that you're doing an activity, not just one activity to last the whole group time, but you are really moving pretty fast, doing five to ten minutes on one activity. Now, they're not going to be real elaborate things. Again, remember, as I said to that other mom, go simpler, not more complex, not harder. And even in this kind of situation, I would still think about that move, sit, move, sit philosophy, meaning that we're going to do something where we're all up and moving around, and then we're going to sit down for just a little bit to do a more structured activity, and then we're going to be all up and moving around. And again, I'm not meaning let them go wild for that moving around part, but do something together. I would start every little session, especially with groups that are very, very hard to manage with a grace motor activity so that you can help them expend some of that energy or if they're sensory seekers, they're naturally craving that input. So do something like singing head, shoulders, knees, and toes or play a little game, a little little social routine like jack-in-the-box where, do you know that, that little game it's and let me just say this was my daughter's very favorite game and lots of children that I've seen you know, 20 years of kids <laughs> like to play this little game and it's worked so well after you introduce it but have everybody squat on the floor or crouch down and say you know jack in the box sit so still once you come out and then you jump up on yes I will and that is so simple but it is so captivating for children, and it really, again, gives them an opportunity to move their little bodies. It's something they remember. Kids in the session with me saying, Jack, Jack, or Box, Box, whatever they say for that. When you play with them, you know, big old you, <laughs> crouching down like your little three- and four-year-old friends, like that, they just think that's a lot of fun. And what are you working on with that? Well, first of all, you're getting everybody's attention. So that social interaction, that joint attention piece. You're also working on some motor imitation, which must come before speech and language emerge. And again, you're giving them what they need at the very, very beginning to orient them to you and to get them hooked with what you were doing and what you were saying and it also establishes you as the leader of that little routine and so you'll just kind of keep it moving other even simple games like ring around the rosies or those kinds of little social games to get all the kids connected to each other so I would I would do some kind of little movement another fun little thing that I like to do is get a book where you are imitating the movements, and again, it's to keep their attention, so that task participation piece and that motor imitation piece, and you can certainly throw your language goals in there as well. I like the little Eric Carl book. It's called From Head to Toe. It's zoo animals, and they are all doing things like scratching their heads and jumping or whatever. I haven't read it in a while, so I don't remember every little thing they do, but super, super way, and remember you as the therapist. I know you already know this, but you've really got a model. And and in this kind of situation where it sort of seems like behavior is taking over, you've got to be the show. <laughs> so they are focused on you. And so they are really paying attention to what you're doing and really, really listening. And that sometimes really means performing. And some of us as therapists, you know, we we've all we all do it, but sometimes we need to amp it up a little bit more so that we are really controlling that 
uh, setting and really, again, keeping a child's attention because he's focused on you and he's focused on what you're doing. You know, somebody who has some really cute products for this kind of thing is Monet at Monet's Beach House. She's been a guest on the show. She's a school SLP from Las Vegas, and she's got a really great Instagram account with new ideas on there all the time. And she actually does some things through, I think it's Teachers Pay Teachers, where she has some cute little group activities like that. So look at some of her stuff as well. Let me give you my best ideas too. Other things that I've done that have worked really well, and again, so what I would probably do, like I said, is get the grace motor, some kind of little grace motor activity at the beginning. Now you might do something for two or three sessions in a row, but then stop because you don't want to wear a kid out and have them be just totally bored, but then you can bring it back. So get yourself, I would say, four or five little games that you're going to rotate through for the next couple of months and then introduce a new one. And then what I would do is move to a very simple kind of table activity and think about where everybody's sort of doing their own thing, but again, they're still contained so that you can talk with them and address whatever their particular speech and language group happen to be. So things that have worked great for me are really simple Play-Doh activities or painting activities. Do a lot of requesting where they have, you're withholding the Play-Doh with the paint where they have to really ask for it and then they get it. So do some things like that. Even when you're at the table, imitation games are fantastic so that everybody's sitting there and you might start with patting the table and, you know, you're leading the game and you're going to say, oh, watch, watch, do what I do, do what I do, and then pat the table and maybe clap, pat your head, arms up, pat your knees, uh, put your finger on your nose, give a kiss, wave, you know, shout hooray. Those little things, those little imitation games are so great at developing attention. And remember, if that's what you're working on with this group of kids, problem for them because you're struggling with that. So always kind of think about that with I've got to back it down so that I can get to the point where they can't participate. Another thought I'm just having is that this may be so much of a break for them if they're coming to your little room, your speech room, to do therapy that they're just kind of going to kind of go wild anyway because they've sort of been let loose. And, again, I'm saying all this very teasingly and with no uh, condescending tone or anything like that. But it's a fact. When kids move from one setting to another, they do go a little bit wild. That's why we want to make them walk in lines and do all kinds of things that are developmentally not always practical, but just kind of think about that as well, that when you're thinking about whatever your tabletop activity is going to be, it needs to be simple enough to keep their attention because sometimes we go too hard with that. And the reason that you could do your growth matter activity first is to help them regulate a little bit before they sit down with that. So uh, those kinds of simple table activities are always fun. When things have gone really south for me in this situation where I'm thinking, boy, this is a freaking disaster <laughs> snack time always works well with little groups and that may not be as practical for a school setting i'm not sure what your rules and regulations are and again i think that would depend on where you're practicing but i think having children request food little snack items always always important it's one of the most functional communication skills you could ever target being able to say when you're thirsty or hungry and what you want for that and I would do a lot of withholding and a lot of really weaving in your goals there you know are you working on a language goal are you working on a speech goal and you can certainly have kids working on different things even within the same activity and again as as therapists we all know this but sometimes we need to articulate that up to parents so maybe not the answer for this therapist 
but certainly with parents that you're working with, with EI therapists who are doing home visits, you know, talk about the practicality of working on a child's speech and language skills during snack time or mealtime with parents because it's something that children all do, and it's a routine that you know, occurs really consistently. And so if you can tie this practice in with that, it's going to be more a reliable way to do it so that the parent remembers to do it. All right, other things that I would do, and this is kind of the bulk of my response to her, games, games, and more games. And I'm not really talking about board games at the table unless they are fast and easy and the kids are on the same level. There's a little ice cream game called Nom Noms. Really fun where you're building ice cream scoops. That's that's a really fun game to do. Um, but what I'm really talking about here are relay games so that children are up and moving. Now, if you have, let's talk about talking, there are a couple of different games, uh, little relay games where you're using a puzzle or you're using lots of holies that they like. And what you're doing here, it's really a running game. So a toddler's going to listen to your directions, locate the item that you name, run back and toss the item in some kind of container like a box, a bucket, or a bowl. Now, once you have your little template for the game, oh, my goodness, you can use this over and over and over and over. You're just switching out your materials. And like I said, you can use it to target receptive language skills or expressive skills or even articulation skills. So let's say that you're working with these four kids who are all working on following directions, and it sounds like that would be a really appropriate goal. So you've got your puzzle on the other side of the room or any kind of activity. I posted a winter clothes uh, winter clothes game about this a couple of weeks ago at teachmetotalk.com, so go look for that. I believe that's still up. I took all the Valentine's stuff down but left that one up. I hope, since I'm talking about it. <laughs> but go look at that. What you're really doing, again, you can use this over and over and over. You can do it with puzzles where you are holding um, or, or holding the puzzle pieces um, one side of the room with you with the kids, and you have the puzzles on the other side of the room with the winter clothes. It kind of might be vice versa where the clothes are the away from you, and you're going to tell the children what you get if they're working on receptive language, and that would be the following directions piece. So you say something like, if you have a farm puzzle, you know, oh, go get the cow. Where's the cow? And then you have them bring it back. And if they're doing expressive, you're going to have them name the puzzle piece or, you know, answer a question like, what does the cow say? Or even do something like, oh, kiss the cow, pat the cow, make the cow fly. Um, you know, any kind of little direction you can think about and then have them put it in the container. So we're really structured kind of fun way to do it uh, for kids if you're having problems with them kind of running around even during that I would have it where you're all you know kind of create some excitement where you're all sort of even seeing a little huddle you know oh whose turn is whose turn is, is it oh you go and then you can sort of even contain them with your arms <laughs> if one of them starts to run away or whatever and it's another kid's turn you can do a lot of that kind of shuffling and you know, grabbing them and saying, wait, wait, you've got to wait, hold on, let's see, he's, he's getting the pig, where's the pig, let's all look at him, get the pig, and so you're getting the children to follow 
um, the directions and really watch their little friends as they are retrieving um, the items that they've gotten. Now, a lot of times you can even do this with kids who are kind of stuck with a special interest. Let's say that they're really, really fixated on, uh, let's use Woody and Buzz, which is the example in the uh, activity page, and let's talk about talking. So you'll just help them go retrieve those toys or again you're having them name them or whatever whatever your goal has to be and it's such a fun flexible activity because you can change out your materials with this but kids love it it is always 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 a hit I think this game is also in teach me to talk the therapy manual so if you have that book and it sounds like this therapist already did Look at some of those games in the receptive language section and see what you can do with that. If you want to see some of these ideas, my DVD, Listen and Obey 2, there are a couple of sibling groups where we're doing these kinds of things with. So you can certainly get some examples there, especially if you're a parent and you haven't, you're struggling with how do I work on my kid's speech when his sister is there? What can I do to include them? So get that DVD so that you can see some good examples of that. And I think there's some good examples on the Apraxia DVD as well. All right, that's it for today. This new little 45-minute format goes lightning fast for me, but I love it. I've gotten some emails that therapists have said, hey, I like the the new uh, 45-minute thing. So just wanted to uh, say that as well. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast, and we'll be back next week with a new show. Have a great week. Thank you. Bye-bye.